This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. seen video and I have heard firsthand testimonies, I am convinced. That's the voice of Canada's ambassador to Israel, Lisa Stadelbauer, speaking to me about why she believes the reports that Hamas terrorists not only invaded Israel in its military attack on October 7th and slaughtered 1,200 people, but also raped, tortured and murdered their Israeli women and girl victims on purpose. It could be Ambassador Stadelbauer was the first Canadian diplomat to come out publicly, stating she believes illegal gender-based violence was used as a weapon of war by Hamas. Stadelbauer spoke out long before her boss did. It took Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie a full two months after October 7th to say anything about the issue. And Jolie's been heavily criticized for taking so long. She issued a tweet about it this past Thursday. Liesl Stadelbauer says she decided last month it was, in her words, a no-brainer for the Tel Aviv embassy to be at the forefront and speak out in support of the Israeli women victims. And Stadelbauer went to use her own personal Twitter account on November 24th to raise awareness, just ahead of the launch of the United Nations 16 Days of Activism campaign against gender-based violence. And the embassy reposted all the comments on its official account, too. You know, this has been a priority of the government of Canada for a long time. And it's, we have a feminist foreign policy and a feminist international assistance policy. Um, in all of our work, we put women and girls at the heart of what we do. And so this was a natural place for me to step into and a natural place for the embassy to try and take a bit of a leadership role. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, December the 11th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Ambassador Lisa Stadelbauer arrived in Israel to be Canada's new envoy in the summer of 2021, right in the midst of the COVID lockdown, and right after the last Israel-Hamas skirmish ended. Things have been relatively quiet, and then October 7th happened, and Stadelbauer's been in the international spotlight ever since. First, because after the embassy and her team were heavily criticized by many Canadians who were desperately trying to get flights out of Israel but couldn't reach anyone at the embassy for several days. A frantic few weeks ensued while the embassy beefed up staffing and helped the Canadian government carry out military evacuation flights in mid-October to take Canadians home. The embassy's also been busy helping the families of eight Canadians whose loved ones had been killed or kidnapped by Hamas. All this as the backdrop for why the ambassador admits she feels ashamed that it took her so long to pay attention to what Israeli officials have been saying about what Hamas terrorists did to their women victims and what's happened since to some of the female hostages while they were held in Gaza and to at least one man. Now, though, as momentum builds around the world to investigate Hamas's mass rape and torture tactics, the ambassador is speaking out with harsh words for leading feminist groups and others who've either remained silent or worse, believe Hamas's denials. And she's challenging Canadians to follow her lead. She joined me from the embassy in Tel Aviv. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm happy to be here. This is a local decision, right, that the, that your embassy and yourself decided to do to focus on the Israeli women as part of a larger international Canadian effort. Is that how this is being seen? Or is, are all the embassies doing the same thing? 
Sure. Well, let me back up a little bit to the to the 16 days. So the campaign, the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence, is an international campaign um, that has deep roots in Canada. Um, I think it really came to the, the, the concept of gender-based violence in Canada really came to the fore at the time of um, the massacre at the Polytechnique. And um, the and women at the time from Canada came together with other women around the world who had had similar sorts of experiences and decided that there needed to be um, some international days to mark um, elimination of gender-based violence. And this concept of the 16 days of uh, 16 days of activism was started. And uh, so every year, Canada does an international focus on 16 days, and it is correct up to every individual embassy and mission to decide where they want to focus their efforts. For me this year at this embassy, it was a no-brainer. I mean, what happened on October 7th was so despicable and such a blatant, um, obvious targeting of women and violence against women and the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war that to me it was a no-brainer. Of course, we had to focus our work on that this year. Okay, some of the embassies that I looked up, uh, for example, Italy, lit their embassy building in Rome with orange light for the period. What did the embassy in Israel do, if anything? So what I've been doing a lot is um, is talking to folks and sort of trying to raise the profile of this issue. You know, it happened on October 7th, and that first month, we were so focused here in the embassy on the uplift of Canadians who wanted to leave, really focusing on Canadian citizens in this country, that I kind of wasn't paying attention to the fact that there was this denial happening and that there was a silence around what had happened on that day. I hadn't I hadn't realized it, and I, I regret that. I wish I had been paying more attention. Um, but once I began to understand that there was this, this world, this global denial campaign, that there had been all of this sexual violence on that day, I knew that this was a place where Canada had to raise a voice. And so I immediately reached out to um, a woman named Dr. Kokara um, Elkayim Levy, and she runs or she organized something called a Civil Commission of October 7 Crimes by Hamas Against Women and Children. And she and she's a, a distinguished academic here in Tel Aviv. She and some of her friends, I think 40 of them, got together. Um, there was such chaos here after October 7th that um, there was a gap of who was collecting the evidence, who was documenting what had happened that day to the women. And so she and her colleagues got together and started collecting evidence, collecting stories, collecting pictures, collecting testimony. They now have over 100,000 pieces of information, whether that's video clips from the terrorists that they've collected online, whether that's uh, testimony from first responders, testimony from the Zaka officials. The Zaka officials are the ones, the volunteers who go to the scene of accidents or terrorist incidents to collect the remains of people. Um, they have um, testimony from victims. They have testimony from morgue workers, from hospital workers. They're collecting all of these stories and all of these bits of information and professionally archiving them to international standards so that the stories can be told, so that at some point in time, prosecutions can be done. Government has now taken over the investigation. Um, I believe it's the largest investigation that the Israeli National Police has ever undertaken, certainly the most complex the civil commission and the police are working very closely together to make sure that this information and the documentation is maintained for future prosecution. So anyways, that's a bit of a background. But um, I reached out immediately to Dr. Elkayim Levy just to, to understand her work and what she was doing and um, had to listen to a test, uh, 
a seminar that she did with Harvard University. And I can send you the link to that. It's uh, extremely disturbing, but extremely informative. And so we had a good chat. I asked her how Canada could be helpful. And so she's trying to put her head around ways that we might be able to support her work at the Civil Commission. We don't have a plan yet, but uh, she's going to come back to me on that. Uh, but what she said at the time was, the best thing you can do for us right now is uh, raise your voice and be heard and tell the story. And so on my Twitter account, which I frankly don't use that often, <laughs> I really, it's not my favorite place to play. Um, but I did do a stream of tweets about this. And I think it's a, it's a testament to how badly that was needed, how how much it exploded. And I think I was the first ambassador in Israel to tweet about this. More have done it since. And I keep hearing from Israeli women how much that was appreciated and bring some attention to this issue. What else is the embassy doing? So I've been to two uh, meetings at the MFA, one with a small group of, um, you know, so-called like-minded countries with the MFA to talk through some of these issues. And then uh, earlier this week at a larger event that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs held to talk about it. Um, I've been to a session at the Knesset. We had planned originally at the embassy to do a small event here for the diplomatic corps. I don't think that's um, as necessary now because the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has kind of stepped in to do that. So we're going to put our heads around to see what we can do in January um, to continue to raise awareness. And as I said, I'll, I'll continue to speak to um, to the Civil Commission and to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, to government, to see ways in which Canada can help. You know, maybe it's supporting the work of the Commission um, through some sort of a grant. I don't quite know yet what that's going to look like. And um, for the government of Israel, uh, they have to figure out how to get this prosecuted internationally. And I and the mechanisms are not yet clear. Uh, so we're talking now to see what might be possible and how we can play a helpful role there. Uh, let's just explain to the audience, Israel and the uh, International Court of um, ICC, they don't see eye to eye. Israel doesn't recognize the legitimacy of it, of course. And so that's an issue, uh, even though the UN is now um, finally, after eight weeks, coming on board. I want to ask you about that. But also the difficulties, as our listeners will know, is that most of the people, except for maybe the hostages who have now come out and said about 10 of them, including one man, have been sexually assaulted, but most of the victims are dead. And so it's hard to, and they're buried and they didn't take uh, rape kits in the morgue because they were flooded with bodies and they were, as we all know, the, the process was overwhelming. So those are some challenges that maybe Canada could help with, with forensic experts, RCMP, justice officials, because Canada has expertise in this prosecuting war crimes at the ICC and elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. And so UN Women has suggested that um, an investigation could be done by the Commission of Inquiry, which is a UN body um, that works out of Geneva. Um, unacceptable completely to Israel because Israel thinks that the Commission of Inquiry is a deeply flawed body, as does Canada. So there needs to be a different sort of mechanism or a different sort of body looking at this, and that's not quite clear yet. In terms of what Canada can do to help, we've asked. I mean, we, it's not for us to tell Israel how we're going to help them. It's for Israel to ask what kind of help it wants and needs and see if we can fill that gap. I have told the police that if there's a particular need, that they're, the gap that they have that they're missing, um, that we can help fill in the gap, that we would explore that. Uh, I don't have an answer on that yet, but I think the offer was very, very much appreciated. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue these discussions with government to see where we can play a role 
continue the discussions at the United Nations. Um, our mission in New York at the United Nations in New York is very seized of the matter. They've had discussions with UN women. Um, they're trying to talk to, well, trying to figure out what the best prosecuting mechanism is for this. You said maybe you were the first foreign diplomat to tweet about this. It's gotten a lot of attention in maybe the last week or two. But before that, there was a lot of silence. How did that sit with you, that it took so long for some of these bodies to actually say anything, the UN women, for example? I mean, I, from my own personal perspective, I, I tell you that I am deeply ashamed that I didn't speak up sooner, that I didn't realize that silence was out there. Um, it, it's, and, and it, yeah, there's no excuse for it, except that I was busy looking at other things and it never occurred to me that there would be silence around it. I hadn't noticed the silence because I didn't expect it to be there. That doesn't excuse you and women who is supposed to be precisely looking at these issues. I think their silence was terrible. Um, I don't know any excuse for it. Anyways, as I mentioned, our, our embassy and our permanent mission in New York is talking to you and women about their silence, uh, expressing our concerns. I'm, I'm glad to see that they have commented now. I think that's very important that they did, but we'll keep pushing. You had positions before you were in Israel this time uh, as High Commissioner in uh, Africa, where, for example, there have been in Rwanda and other countries that you were involved with systematic rape, uh, genocidal rape was for Rwanda. And I wonder what uh, you remember from those, those, um, those cases, that, that experience, um, and how, how it informed how you're reacting now to the Israeli one. Well, I think it's, you know, sadly, it's not unique. Um, sexual violence and rape are weapons of war, and violent men use them as weapons of war. The international community recognizes um, rape as a war, war crime now, I believe. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it happens, unfortunately, in a lot of conflicts. So what is the difference then, for example, because with Boko Haram women, uh, that were the girls that were kidnapped, it was a huge let the girls go campaign and Michelle Obama got involved in celebrities and not and now it's only recently that Sheryl Sandberg, I guess, is the highest profile person that has mentioned it. How do you explain the difference? I don't have an explanation for you, Ellen. I wish that I did. Well, many people will say because they're Jewish women and the Believe Israeli Women campaign and the hashtag. Uh, what are people saying to you in Israel about this? Um, everyone is allowed to be me too, except Jewish women. I mean, I certainly hear that a lot here. You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I can't speak to why other people are being silent. Um, I just know that I believe Israeli women. Canada believes Israeli women. Do you keep tabs on some of the high-profile cases that have happened in Canada where public figures such as Sarah Jama in Ontario, the mem member of parliament, uh, and Kim, uh, sorry, uh, Councillor Kim in Victoria have signed an open letter saying that they didn't believe the rapes happened and it's not true. Are you following this, these cases? Not particularly closely, no. I'm more focused on what's happening here. And as far as the thing that you mentioned, the embassy maybe can do some helpful things for the Israeli investigation. But what about some cooperation between Israeli women groups, Palestinian women groups? Is there some kind of role that your embassy can do about the whole conflict itself? And are there sort of um, groups, uh, multi-faith groups that are actually still working to try to bring about peace or discuss these women's issues that, that you're facilitating or know about? 
Well, I think I'd rather keep this conversation focused on um, the sexual violence aspect of October 7th, um, as we agreed, rather than talking about No, no, larger... but I'm saying, I'm saying that because is that a topic that peace groups on both sides are, are seized with that you're facilitating or Canadian money is facilitating? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what conversations they're having right now. Um, but what I have committed to do um, at the Knesset meeting, those of us who were there, we committed to reach out to women's groups in Canada and see if we could find allies for women's, gr- women's groups here. And I have not done that yet, but it's on my list of things to do. Um, I think it's important to make those international connections and certainly the sense of betrayal here of the international feminist movement um, is quite palpable. Uh, people feel very betrayed by by the lack of support from from feminists around the world. So I want to see if I can find the Canadians who are prepared to stand up and uh, believe Israeli women. On that topic, a lot of the discussion has been about Hamas denying that these these rapes have happened, saying it's against the Quran. How are you seeing sort of the progressive feminist movement having to come to terms with this when they're the ones that started all this with microaggressions and believe women before? It's it's a hard thing to wrap their heads around now. Yeah, I can't explain that thinking either, because I think they should be here standing shoulder to shoulder with Israeli women. And, um, you know, it's, it's clear that the that the denial by Hamas was part of the plan, um, right? You um, perform the attack and then you deny it ever happened. Um, and that's a very sophisticated denial campaign uh, was unrolled almost immediately. But there is, as I said, over 100,000 pieces of, of, I don't want to call it evidence, but documentation, whether it's video clips or phone phone clips or uh, in some cases, DNA samples, um, in some cases, eyewitness accounts um, that uh, hopefully will bring the, the perpetrators to account. You've seen a lot of evidence personally yourself. Tell me what that was. What what is specific about what did you see? So the first briefing that I went to, well, I mean, first of all, I listened to uh, Dr. Elkayim Levy in her presentation at Harvard and heard her reading the accounts, the firsthand testimonials that she has and the descriptions of videos that she has seen. Um, that's a tough listen, I'll tell you that. And you know, she's a very careful narrator. And so when she's reading her testimony, she would tell people on the Zoom call, you may wish to you may wish to turn off your volume for the next minute while I describe this. And I chose not to turn off the volume. I chose to listen to her to bear witness. And it was uh, it was a tough thing to do. Um, at the MFA briefing that I went to for the small group of like-minded countries, uh, they showed a, a video that was extremely graphic. And I believed the images that I saw in that and then there was another video that I saw. So I've seen some video. Uh, I mean, I'm like everybody else online looking at images that I wish I would never have to look at, but I do to bear witness to the extent that I can. Um, and I've heard firsthand testimony at this meeting at the Knesset. One of the Zaka volunteers was there telling us about what he personally saw. And uh, I certainly believed him as he was in tears telling the stories of what he saw. I appreciate that. So one of the things on the Canadian government um, website talking about its uh, activities in the, in, the, in the conflict now is the Canadian government funding both uh, $60 million so far with humanitarian agencies, including UNRWA. And UNRWA and the tunnels and Hamas um, has come out as an issue now. 
that our yeah, I'm not ta- going to speak taxpa- to Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Our taxpayers' <laughs> dollars are linked to the terror attacks and these rapes on women. So how uncomfortable or how do you navigate? How are you dealing with the criticism that on the one hand, this happened and on the other hand, Canada may played a role? Yeah, I, I, I don't wish to talk about that, Helen. We talked about what we were going to frame this conversation and uh, I don't wish UNRWA to be part of that conversation today. I think it's a fair question, um, but I appreciate it. You don't want to answer it. Is the Prime Minister going to be coming to Israel at all in the next little while? Do we have dates? I don't, or... I don't know. I don't have that information. Because there's a, a spat. There was a spat between the Prime Minister and the Israeli government and leaders uh, over his his statement earlier in November. And I wondered if how, how you're trying to smooth that out. The relationship with the government is fine. Um, I mean, I... I talking to the foreign ministry all of the time. Um, I had a good meeting this week with uh, President Herzog. He had a courtesy call with Ambassador Lyons. She is now the Prime Minister's Special Envoy for anti-Semitism, for combating anti-Semitism and Holocaust remembrance. And so she was here for a short visit and we went to see President Herzog together and, and talk through, uh, you know, talk through some issues. And um, he certainly expressed very serious concerns about anti-Semitism in Canada. And the special envoy alliance is uh, she has a very ambitious work plan ahead of her. So um, I, I think there's there's lots of good things we can continue to do together. OK. Is there anything I didn't ask you regarding the 16 days campaign um, that you wanted to bring up before we, we close? No, I think that's good. Thank you. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Now, I should tell you, a couple of hours after my interview with the ambassador, the embassy provoked a bit of controversy because of a confusing tweet posted on the official Twitter account, or X as it's now called. Actually, there were two tweets. The first condemned the rapes of Israeli women and girls and called for their accounts to be investigated. The second tweet said, quote, Sexual and gender-based violence impacts both Israeli and Palestinian women and girls, and also men and boys in distinct ways. And it said Canada condemns all use of sexual and gender-based violence as a tactic of war, justice for all victims, etc., etc. Canadian Jewish leaders wondered, what's the embassy actually blaming Israeli soldiers for raping Palestinian men and women? It was confusing. So we messaged the ambassador's team to ask what it meant. Here's what they wrote back. Unfortunately, the ambassador says, we can see many people read something into the first tweet that was never intended. You have to read the two tweets together, plus Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie's tweet, indicating that we see Hamas as the party using sexual violence as a tactic of war. However, the tweet is still up at last check, and it's also on the account of the Canadian government's mission in Ramallah in the West Bank. However, the momentum is now building in Canada to believe Israeli women. Two prominent Canadian politicians have added their voices. Former Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne and former Conservative Cabinet Minister Lisa Raitt are calling on Canada to play a leading role in the investigation. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.